This is The Shift with Drex On Demand. I'm Shane Hewitt, 877-399-9898. Your calls, your texts are welcome. Um, Our last segment of our conversation with Mark Nelson. Mark is uh, just an interesting guy. You know, one of the coolest things I wish that I could share with you was our conversations even off the air. Uh, Sometimes in life, we sit down with people that are older than us. and, And maybe you're older than Mark, maybe you're younger. That's not what I mean. What I mean is older than you, older than me. And they can tell us stories and we can learn things. Such a deep, deep, love for life and the things that you experience. I love listening to these people. Mark Nelson is one of those guys. His book is Life Under Glass, the second edition. If you want to watch Spaceship Earth, you can on YouTube. It's about five bucks and you can rent it there. And uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Boy, oh boy, you want to talk about the 90s and way ahead of their time and really trying to pioneer new things and just try stuff. This is a group that did it. So here is more of the last piece of my conversation uh, from earlier on today with Mark Nelson. Well, that those different ways of being and the way that, you know, sort of all these belief systems happen with two years in biosphere, the battles that you went through, the weight loss, the the carbon dioxide or lack of oxygen, then the oxygen experiencing the difference of between living your life with and without, you know, enough oxygen, really. Um, and plus, I mean, you're surrounded by those people as much as most of them were family for a long term that must change some of that belief system stuff for you, or did it just reinforce it? How are you different? Um, you know, today looking at, you know, the way that you celebrate life with, you know, what I feel from you anyway, Mark, is that, you know, there's, there's a piece of heart here. There is a, there's a connection to the earth. You know, there's a connection to community that's so incredibly important. There's a curiosity that needs to be there. So how did that impact that? Yeah, I mean, uh, and we should go on to the difficulties of living with just seven other people, which can't be, you know, uh, overstated. It was by way and be and beyond the most difficult part of uh, the two years in bias for two. But, you know, when you talk about the human experience and how you get changed, you know, bias for two was kind of a watershed for me because it was kind of like, it made everything that I had been thinking about, about how the world needed to change and how people needed to be much more connected to nature. It took all that from the cerebral plane to the really deeply, deeply, deeply cellular plane, you know, to where it was inescapable. And, And the interesting thing, you know, all eight of us and, you know, and, you know, most of us have written about it, talked about it in interviews, etc. We all went through that kind of phase change from being, how should we say, you know, dining table, cocktail party environmentalists mm-hmm. to understanding at a really deep, maybe gut level. Maybe that's the word I should use, gut level. I like cellular. Gut level, gut level sounds gut. good too, though. What? <laughs> Cellular I, level. I like cellular yeah. level because it kind of is cellular level to me is is that way of being, right? It's just this natural way of being. Well, you know, I mean, I I, I use that word kind of groping. You know, we and and you and I have talked about our love of language. You know, language kind of fails us. I mean, you know, that's why I think we revere great poets because they make this incredible stab at at in whatever language they're writing. <laughs> to take these ineffable, these really, really profound and, you know, 
deeply interior. And I think, you know, if any of us get deeply interior, this is the great, uh, wonderful magic of being human. You know, the more interior any individual becomes, the more connected they are to our collective experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so we humans, you know, you know, can you imagine humanity without having invented language and having this, you know, trove? You know, I go back, I'm, you know, mostly still a, a Westerner. You know, you go back to Shakespeare and you really ponder where you watch a really great performance where actors and actresses really bring that to life. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so. Well, I, I would just say as far as, sorry, Mark, I would say go as far as I don't, I'm not quite sure there is humanity without language. I mean, that's yeah, really no, I, where it lands for me. You, you know, our, our charismatic leader, not, not a guru of a cult, uh, John Allen, <laughs> he's given some talks about, you know, there's a certain brainwashing that we get from a superficial adherence to science. So I think it's really cool. And if your listeners haven't, you know, tuned into the idea of five kingdoms of life, that's really an interesting concept. Because now we divide the bacteria into the, the really primitive ones, or early ones, I shouldn't say primitive, without a nucleus. It's on and on and on to fungi, plants, and animals. You know, but John's given talks about, you know, that in a way, just saying that humans are animals is understating, you know, the power that we've discovered because of our use of symbols. You know, that we can, we can transmit ideas, cultural values you know, through time and space. Hmm. And it's quite, you know, so he, he likes to call, uh, call humans uh, homo symbolicus, that we are the symbolic, you, you know, people. So, yeah, and, and it's interesting, Biaser 2, and, you know, the fun of Biaser 2, one of the, the lower pleasures is watching people misinterpret Biaser 2 or put it through the grinder of their particular <laughs> prejudices and, and, and just as a quick illustration that comes to mind, I remember when Biosphere 2, even before the two-year closure, when it was still a project in development, was attacked in a French communist uh, newspaper, Humanité, because the, uh, the, you know, from the communist standpoint, Biosphere 2 is a proof that the U.S. was planning a unilateral first-strike nuclear attack on the world. All right. And... And its leaders were going to survive in biospheres dug deeply into various mountains around the world. It's creative. I found, I found that so, so interesting. Well, isn't that funny? The perspective that everyone will take on that. I think that's really good. Although I would like to just recognize that you just taught me something is to look at language as symbols um, because language is uh, formed by letters and sounds. And if letters and sounds are just symbols, then what is language as a symbol? I'm going to look at... Uh, I'm going to look at that and stick with that. I think that's good. Well, um, thank you for that. One of the pieces that, um, that, that I saw in the living with seven other people in that what seemingly uh, large biodome bio from the outside was probably felt really small at times with only seven people there for two years is that the progression seemed to go from we to me and then back to we again as struggles started. Is that a fair synopsis of what happened? You know, uh, to simplify anything is, you know, inviting error. 
And I don't think it, it devolved to we because, and some of my colleagues, and I've had heated discussions about this, were there really two factions in Bias or two? Well, maybe, maybe not, because thing, you know, humans are complex. But, you know, so I don't think it ever changed, and it certainly didn't change to me, because, you know, part of that transformation of understanding that Biosphere 2 is keeping us alive, literally, literally, literally. Of course, we could have gone through an airlock door, but no one wanted to do that unless, you know, absolutely forced to do that. So there was always a we going on. And I, I, I don't know if I quoted last time, but Roy Walford, you know, who, you know, maybe he was part of the faction that said, well, screw this, let's bring in food, you know, let's bring in oxygen earlier, you know, let, let's not uh, push the limits on so much. Uh, it, it, in one of his writings, he said, I may have detested some of the other crew at times, but we were a hell of a team. So I think the you know the really interesting thing, and I look at, you know clearly at every level, humans, you know, are in conflict. You know, families are not without conflicts. You know, cities and communities are not without conflicts. But what's the unifying thing? And if I can go back to that hokey, badly expressed French uh, woman, <laughs> what is the glue? Yeah. And I think that, you know, the real problem on planet Earth is, we, you know, the glue is out there if we could if we could grab it. If we could really grab that we have one small planet, we have one biosphere that currently is really under duress and act accordingly, then that gives scope for, you know, have all the conflict you want. <laughs> you know, people also thrive in conflict. I think, you know, by the way, it was never going to happen. But if we were just one happy family and nothing bad happened during bias or two, nothing uh, unexpected, you know, you find out who you are when, you know, when the stuff hits the fan. Mm -hmm. I'll prevent uh, the bleeping out of my comments. By <laughs> stations. You know, and, and it's also the nature of life, the nature of the biosphere. The, you know, the biosphere is so dramatic, you know, it's kind of like people look at Biosphere 2 now and they say, of course, they stayed in there for two years. You know, that was really unlikely. It's really unlikely that this little biosphere that however it began on Biosphere on, on our planet has persisted for 3.8 or 3.9 billion years. You know, life is drama. Uh, and yeah, so kudos to the theater of all possibilities. And I, I think that, you know, the fact that we all all eight of us were versed in theater really helped us persist in inside because we could also see, well, here's act one, here's act two, here's act three, here's act four, here's the bloody fifth, you know, when the bodies usually litter the, the stage in classical drama. And here's the catharsis. Here is the end. Mm -hmm. The answer we've all been looking for. <laughs> Well, a little piece of it, a little piece of it, a little piece of it too. Well, uh, Mark, I can't thank you enough for all the time. There is one very, very important question that I have after watching the uh, Spaceship Earth documentary, and that is, have you ever been able to stomach beetroot since? Yeah, I I have no problem with beetroot. It's one of our, our uh, important crops in the organic farm. 
You know, I think I think the the way that film was a little bit unkind to us, and it wasn't just beets. Uh, you know, we ate on average one pound of sweet potatoes per person per day. Wow. But you know, if you're creative and if you're eating on what you grow, you get creative. You know, it was probably the sweetest. The, well, papayas, bananas, and sweet potatoes were the sweetest thing we had. So it would appear in many guises from homemade ice creams to porridges and et cetera. I mean, you know, we've never, I've never lived as well as I did in Biosphere 2 and we've never eaten as well. I mean, I'm an organic farmer, but I don't sit down to meals where I know that everything on that plate has come from the efforts of us in the farm. Yeah. An incredibly wonderful feeling. And, you know, by the way, Shane, and I always love to, you know, emphasize this, we, we're so short-term memory, you know, especially in the West. It's true. You know, we don't understand, you know, I'd like to say organic farming is not an innovation and a new thing. Everyone on the planet was an organic farmer insofar as they farmed, you know, 300 years ago because they hadn't invented chemical fertilizers. And 300 years ago, almost all of us were farmers, and growing our food, you know, this is kind of return to roots. I'm not saying that this is in the future, but, you know, I agree. You were saying something earlier, and I totally, totally, this is, this is something I just dream and hope for, like probably anyone with any compassion for humans and the biosphere. I really hope that we come out of the pandemic and the lockdown and the quarantines you know, with a new appreciation of life, what life on earth could be. And we reimagine it that we don't just go back to business as usual, which we know is causing human misery and, you know, pretty degrading and possibly destroying our, our biosphere. And the humans that are in it. And that's yep. amazing. Thank you, Mark, so much. Um, I'm taking with me life is drama. I'm taking with me um, this world what if we just took the perspective of this is keeping me alive then what would we do on life to change what that is like um thank you sir so much for spending time with on the radio i know you and i will spend some time off the radio i look forward to that too but thanks for being here on the show tonight it's been a pleasure and your readers should definitely seek out a kindle or printed version of life under glass the new second edition well, and that's, I look forward to that one for myself because now that we've had the full conversation, I will give myself permission to dig into the whole book. So uh, we'll, we'll pass on those details to everybody too. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. For more show content and clips from The Shift with Drex, go to theshiftwithdrex.ca.